0: Welcome back to Bike Race Weekly. I am your host, Ryan Gerrard, and I am here with my co-host, Rick Wall. So, uh, this last weekend, really exciting stuff. It was
1: the Paris-Roubaix in the world tour world. Possibly the most exciting race of the year, some, yeah, some may say. that. I it, I'd, I'd tend to be in that camp as well.
0: You know, I think every single year, uh, Paris-Roubaix is pretty much the best race of the year.
1: There's never a dull Paris-Roubaix. I think it's always an interesting race. And, I mean, of course it is because it's one of the, the gnarliest races with the the largest and most uh, insane cobblestones on the World Tour calendar.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of like one of those races where you don't want to look away because at any moment anything could happen. Like, uh, a big thing that happened, Woodfin Art, uh, double puncturing, and then gets a new bike, not much uh, much farther he crashes that bike.
1: Yeah, I mean, get it, yeah, right, getting right into it, Watt Van Aert coming into this race being one of the favorites, which was a little strange because he's only ridden the race one time, but obviously he's on some really good form this year, and you just said he had some terrible luck crashing, um, running into mechanicals. Um, you know, he still even managed to make it back, he caught back on, made it back into the, the winning group until he eventually got dropped out due to, you'd have to say, just fatigue of, having to motor his way from the very back of the field, actually off the back, to the front of the race.
0: Yeah, that's pretty incredible that, you know, most people would just be content with making it up to the main group, you know, with uh, right. Peter Sagan, Greg Van Avermaet,
1: Philippe Gilbert. you
0: know, those guys. Right. But he didn't just do that. He he took that and then took it to the next level. He then attacked those guys pretty much as, like, as soon as he got there.
1: Yeah, but... To rewind things back a little bit let's start from maybe earlier on in the race the beginning of the race it was a extremely hard race like the first two hours of the race for you know for most races on the calendar are generally are generally you know um the breakaway gets away and the time gaps established and then the field kind of works on bringing it in that didn't really happen in paris survey the first two hours were extremely hard with nobody really wanting to let the breakaway go and I think eventually a group of three riders got up the road, kind of having like a soft gap on the rest of the field. But I mean, pretty much from from the beginning of the race, it was just super hot.
0: You know what? One thing I noticed was like half the teams in this in this year's Paris Roubaix were like domestic teams.
1: Well, that's, I was kind that's... of
0: surprised by how many like non World Tour teams there were.
1: I mean that that's kinda like how do you feel about that? Well well every year they give uh, a number of wild cards to pro continental teams. I think Delco Marseille, Rumpot Charles was in there. Um, uh, there you know, there's just like a variety, Comfidus that's another one. It I think it's kinda neat actually, um, because it gives some of the smaller teams a chance to to, you know, contend with some of the larger teams. And you know, these pro continental teams are also pretty good too. There was no a number of riders in the top ten from the Pro Continental team, so they definitely had some horsepower in the race, and, you know, maybe they didn't animate the race, but they were in the race, and they raced, for sure.
0: I would almost prefer to see, like, a Pro Continental Peru Bay, that's, like, the day before the Uh, World Tour race. Yeah. Kind of keeping that separation of World Tour and Pro Continental, so it's kind of like you get to see the best Pro Continental guys and then kind of see them go up into the World Tour ranks.
1: So I... I've always been like really into motocross and motorcycles and I've grown up racing those, but they, the way they differentiated racing was they had like the lights class, which was two fifties and then the four the fifties and they raced on the same, the, which was the premier class and they raced on the same course except the two fifty. So exactly what you said, you know, you'd go like pro continental first, that'd be like your lights class. And then like the, the premier class would be like the world tour class. Which is kind of cool because it, it essentially creates two races and you've got like now these different storylines to follow. But it's interesting seeing the pro continental guys mixed in there, especially when they end up doing pretty well. It's kind of a, a, a place for them to, to prove themselves and possibly get some eyes on them from other world tour teams.
0: Yeah, I kind of get that. Um, I guess I'm just one of those people that just doesn't notice them. Yeah. Like they're just kind of there to me.
1: Ryan just looks at him like the clubs, huh? Yeah. They're just the they're back of the pack.
0: It's just like they're just kind of there. Yeah. You know, I the mean, guys who go out in the breakaway, it's just kind of like they're just there so everyone else can take a break.
1: The TV time breakaway, right?
0: The TV time breakaway.
1: Yeah. Well, looking back at Perry roubaix why don't we talk about um, some, of the, some of the surprises? You know, like we, we talked a little bit about the race so far, and we'll kind of get to more of what actually happened in the race, but anything pop out at you as surprising any riders that you expected to possibly perform better in Paris-Roubaix but maybe maybe didn't do so well or any on the flip side any riders that kind of outperformed uh that you know the expectation
0: uh Seth Van Mark to me outperformed what I think his abilities have been up to this race
1: and Van Mark's had a pretty rough classic season so far at E3 Harabeka or I guess it's now E3 Bink Pank uh, mm-hmm. Classic, he he had a pretty bad crash and he had a really really hard line. shot to his knee and I think it was uh, doubtful that he would have even been racing Tour of Flanders. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, Perry Roubaix, which is a much more difficult, you know, probably physiologically difficult race than Tour of Flanders. Um, yeah, I agree. It was it was good to see Van Mark there though. Like I I really like Sepp Van Mark. I think he's kind of like one of those really gritty guys that always he's like really crafty he always manages to make and he's strong too he manages to make that lead group and that finishing group but he just is like a second to fifth place guy which i always yeah. i always root for him because of that i like i want him to i want him to win a, a perry bay or a flanders
0: yeah it's kind of a dis- disappointing thing for him that th- in like the last 20k he had a mechanical and he was stuck in his like 5311 yeah. So you can kind of watch him just grinding up any any hill. He he waited, or I should say it took his team car up into I think, like 7K to go to switch out bikes. Yeah. But I was kind of like, at that point, like you're so close to the finish. And he was kind of in a situation where he wasn't going to do better and he definitely wasn't going to do worse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I kind of thought, like, why don't you just ride it out?
1: Well, so from what he I just Peter heard-
0: Sagan let him just... Like, once they got into the velodrome, Peter Sagan let him go and beat him. For, so it was like he wasn't going to do any better or, or any worse. I kind of see is that bike switch just kind of unnecessary. Yeah.
1: So from what I've heard, the bike switch, so it was in regards to his DI2, I guess something had knocked into it. or It went into what's called crash mode, where it. it I think it limits your gear range to prevent, the, essentially, like the derailleur from ripping off
0: another reason why I'm not a fan of DI2 true
1: yeah that's true Um, also hard for the mechanic to fix outside of the team car door if you need to but uh, he was I think under gear he could not get into a big enough gear and I think you could see that too uh, um, oh, he was under gear. I think he was under. I'm pretty
0: sure he was. O- he was in his eleven.
1: He was okay. Maybe so. Maybe he was over gear.
0: I'm pretty sure that's what it. It what it, it automatically re- kind of goes to okay. is just being off and going into like the hardest gear. Like it's yeah. It's like the essentially like if it was mechanical, the the tension would be at its loosest.
1: Ah, uh, okay. So he yeah. only had two gears essentially at that point because he had the eleven in the back and he could switch between the chain rings up front. Yes um, yeah, interesting because I thought he just looked uncomfortable regardless like mm-hmm. you could tell like just something was wrong and like it was really affecting his you know his position on the bike and his riding it just you know it, it wasn't happening for him um, other people that surprised me other than Van Mark in a negative light would be Greg van Avermont. he did exactly how I thought he would do so here's the thing the 2017 champion so the guy has won the race before I from his classics performance I expected him I didn't expect him to win the race but I expected him to at least make the lead group like he like a group went up the road with Gilbert with Van Mark uh, with Peter Sagan with uh, Wauwet Art too he was like these are all the favorites and I guess in a post-race interview, Ben Avermont had mentioned that he thought that uh, it was going to come back together, possibly over like an- another section of pave. And it just it never did. And the gap kept growing and growing. And with Ben Avermont being in that group, uh, everybody was looking at him to bring it back together and chase. So I, like I said, I, I wasn't surprised that he didn't win. Kind of like you. I know you've been talking about how he just hasn't been on the form this year. But I was really surprised that he didn't even make the lead group. But that's been happening
0: at every single race this year. He has been—he has not gone for like the main group like once. He always gets stuck in that second group because he doesn't make those attempts. I when when do you ever see Van Evermat make an attempt to break away?
1: Well, I th- I think he really animated like the e three e three Bank Bank Classic. He he was in the the lead group before. Uh, again, Wellegum, he was basically in the finishing group. Nothing special there. Uh, but that
0: was also a race where no breakaways got away. That's true. He was just yeah. in the group,
1: in the main group. That's a good point. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think what other what other races aside from that. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, that's a good point. You know, like I think he's it's kind of been up in the air whether he ends up actually being in that elite group. But more often than not, he's he's just kind of he's just out, he's just right? a good rider a good top 15 rider oh i mean i think he's better than i think top 15 rider. i think he had
0: one good season and he has not been able to like hold up what everyone thinks he is
1: i i think a lot of it is a team issue and that's I think, a huge part too to be honest i think the the theme of this classic season is teamwork equals dream work you know what i'm saying
0: he must be getting paid a lot at CCC.
1: Well, or his... Yeah, or they just can't sign anybody else. Uh, because in 2017, Daniel Oss attacked and was part of, I guess, a, a late race breakaway that made the favorites chase, which put Van Avermaet in a good move because he had to do no work, right? So, like, I think in 2017 and 2016... Um, Van Avermont had Daniel Oss on BMC, who Daniel Oss, in in his own right, could probably win some of these races if he was if he was left to his own uh, priorities. But he's a, he's kind of that consummate teammate and classic strongman. So I think without having like another strongman on the team, uh, Van evermont just he can't do it alone. Like he doesn't have anybody else on that CC team to really back him up. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the teamwork aspect, too, if you think back to all of the wins this year in the classics, I mean, think of a classic that wasn't won with excellent teamwork. I mean, Tour of Flanders last week, we had EF Education set up Alberto Betial perfectly in the finale. Uh, The week before that, I think we had uh, Gent-Webbelgum where um Gaviria set up Kristoff in the sprint yeah went perfectly. That was really good. The week before that we had E three where uh Stebar just had to sit on the race winning breakaway because he had Bob Jungels and Gilbert in the in the chase group. I mean, this entire classic season, it's every single win has come off the heels of just excellent teamwork.
0: I think edicts did are no they're not Eddick's. They're they they quickstep Koonick, did a really good job with teamwork uh, at at Roubaix, especially yes. when uh, they started off with uh, young, who was it? Was uh, it Youngles? No, it wasn't. Eve, oh, uh, the one crashing. Who who got third? Oh, uh, Eve Eve Lambert. Eve Lambert went on a breakaway, and that's. No, I'm I'm getting myself mixed up. Let's see. They attacked.
1: Oh, okay, so with uh, later in the race. Gilbert attacked at 50k. Okay, that's that's what I was thinking yeah. of. So Gilbert, I th- and I think actually, and then
0: they got two teammates in that break, and then uh, what was his name? He... Yeah,
1: yeah. So Eve,
0: Eve, Eve, then went on an attack that was brought back, and then that's when, and then at like f- 20 or 15k to go, uh-huh. that was when Philippe Gilbert attacked. Yes. The, that, the the okay. uh, Lotto guy? Was it Lotto? Um, Katusha. Katusha N- guy. Niels, Niels Pollitt. Niels Pollitt went with him. Yep. But and then, about a K to go, or like a, a mile to go, uh, he stopped. Jill uh, Bear stopped pulling. Right. And but, this was
1: right before they got into the belladrum. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But. Uh, What's his name? <laughs> Eve. Eve. I can't remember these Eve. guys' names. It's,
1: it's spelled like Y V E S. So no, it's no, no the
0: a... uh, Katusha guy.
1: Oh, Niels, Niels Pollitt. Yeah. Niels
0: had to pull because Yves yeah. yeah. was, <laughs> was hot on their tail. Well, yeah. Eve well, yeah. was hot on their tail. <laughs> if he stopped pulling, he was going to catch up and all of a sudden
1: it's two against right. one. Right. And then Eve Lamper would have just gone right over the top of those two and just motored them into the Rubé and won the race. If I was Gilbert. I would have just been whispering into – not even whispering, but just letting Niels know, like, I've got a teammate like 20 seconds behind us. You can you can, you can, know, play games all you want, but he's just going to go right over us yeah. in the race.
0: The crazy thing is, though, is if I was uh, Katusha, I would kind of be thinking, does Philippe Gilbert really want to give up Perry Paris, Roubaix, though? That's
1: true, but I think that's the whole point or the whole idea of Dakuna Quickstep is, like, nobody on that team is the absolute – powerhouse strongest rider in the race except if you're except if you're pretty
0: close to four of the five monument wins
1: true true that's a good point yeah it would have been interesting i think you know Oh, for those who
0: don't know philippe jilbert had currently three of the five monuments and winning roubaix
1: is now gave, his fifth or fourth
0: gave, gave him his fourth monument win of the five big monuments
1: which has been a, an uh, uh, aspect of his career that he's been hoping to attain is winning, yeah. which I don't know if anybody's done All there's been monuments. about five people okay but this is in the modern era of cycle, cycling no one recently extremely like it should be impossible
0: yeah the last person to like, do it was in I think the 90s
1: yeah I think you're right um, and the rider off the top of my head slips me but yeah, if I was Niels Pollitt, you know, what's the difference between second or third place? Yeah, right? I would have I would have said, all right, I guess your teammate's gonna win. And yeah, I, you know, I, that's the card that I would have played. Right, that's because, what I would have done too. You know, like psychologically, like let's pit Gilbert against you know his teammate. Like instead of thinking about Niels, I would have like ca- crawled to a stop, and you know, I don't know, seeing what seeing what Straight happens. Straight up, say all right. All right, I guess. I guess lose your fourth. Eve Eve, Eve wins, right? Yeah, that would have exactly. been a mind game because right, Th- Philippe right.
0: Gilbert would have definitely been thinking, I I don't want to lose this. Second right. place doesn't mean anything to me.
1: Right? Yeah, and that would have been like a, a really interesting litmus test. You know, if, I feel like to yeah, for him it's either first
0: or like if he's not first, he might as well take last.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a it was a very very interesting interesting dynamic in that velodrome, but. At the end of the day, um, Gilbert ended up playing the cards correctly. He won the two-up sprint in the velodrome against Niels Pollitt for the win. Fourth monument. Really exciting race.
0: One thing I see that is a huge mistake every single year in the velodrome is that the person in the front always gives the inside to the second guy. You have, yeah. I feel like you have to be on the inside with your back wheel overlapping his front wheel so he's on the outside. Right. That gives him one way around, and it's the long way. And then they always wait for the guy behind to start the sprint. And, and it's always at the same spot, right when it gets steep in that last, like, 150, 200 meters. That's always when the sprint starts. And every single year, the the first guy always waits for the second guy to go.
1: Right. You should go first, right? You have exactly. to go first. And I think... That's because it's a bunch of roadies, most of which have never raced the on the velodrome before. And a lot of them, it's like their first time on a mm-hmm. velodrome inside the Paris Bay velodrome.
0: Also, they're probably so tired, they're probably thinking like a second behind. Yeah. You know? Right. So I, they probably don't have that reaction. That's,
1: a, I mean, that's got to be such a hard race. You know, like, it's, it's just on the gas for yeah. over six hours, so... I don't blame the uh, I don't blame Neil's for maybe not making the the most optimal tactical decisions in that race. Yeah, but yeah, really exciting race. Uh, I don't think it was a huge shock that Quick Step won. I think Guillaume Bear winning the race was a bit of a surprise. I think he was actually even more so like an outside pick to win the race.
0: He was like eighth or ninth.
1: Yeah, like uh, Stebar Stebar has gotten second in this race I think multiple times. So odds on favorite were that uh step was riding for mm-hmm. Stebar, but Stebar was in the chasing group, so I don't think it was ever uh um, you know, it was ever into question whether he would have been like the guy to go if that late race attack got pulled back by the chase group.
0: Yeah. Another disappointing rider that uh I just remembered. John Degenkolb. Yes. Twenty eighth cool. place. Even
1: worse than that, Trek had no riders in the lead group.
0: Twenty seventh was the best place Trek rider.
1: Yeah. That and, oof, that is bad. Whew. Especially to have a former winner. I I I guess I would chalk that up to either poor tactics or poor recon, potentially. I think um, it's just
0: poor fitness across the board for, I, maybe it's maybe think it's, it's a poor full fitness, but because Maybe it's a full team thing, I, you know.
1: you know, if you if anybody was paying attention during the Arenberg forest, those riders I think they made a huge effort to get to the front because a lot of them exited pretty pretty close to the front of the race out of the Arnburg forest. And the Arenberg forest is one of the more uh treacherous uh, sectors of cobblestone in That's the race. That's where
0: Woodvenart got his devil flat.
1: Yeah. So the you could see on 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 TV that the Trek racing guys were pretty close to the front of the race. So I think they were assuming that something was going to happen in the Arnberg. There was going to be a split, but things were actually pretty chill through the Arnberg. Mm -hmm. So I think they used a lot of energy in that part of the race. And I think they probably drifted back a little bit once everybody kind of regrouped and people at the back started moving up. And then they were just out of position when the, when the real attack started happening. And, you know, they've got some other like, like big guns on that team. Uh, Jesper Stuyven. They've got Mats Patterson, who is, uh, last year got second place at the Tour of Flanders. So yeah, I mean the fact that they they couldn't get um, you know any of their riders into the top twenty is yeah it's
0: pretty bad. They had a rough week. Not only did they take twenty seventh, they also had a guy test positive for EPO.
1: Yep, Arlenson Pentano, who yep. is was uh, one of their one of their premier climbers and was most likely going to be one of Richie Port's top climbing lieutenants in the tour tested positive for EPO so that's not having a rough year you are having a rough year you know I think that team as a whole has had quite a few positive EPOs in the past couple of years so I don't know what's going on with Trek Factory Racing yeah you know it's crazy how they technically that's our home team too you know (laughs) so it's not like we want to root against them they just haven't been having a very good year
0: yeah, it's crazy how they used to be, you know, the pretty much the top team just a few years ago.
1: I, you know, I think the part of the part of the issue I see with with some of the decisions on truck factory racing is it seems like they they go after riders that are are pretty past their prime. I would say
0: next year they have um, you, you know, like they picked up Neebly, Next year they have Neebly.
1: Yeah, see, so yeah, I don't think that's a good. They, they they pick up riders that are great for branding. Like, Nibali is, like, an icon of Italian cycling. Yeah, especially for Segafredo, who's an and Italian brand. Correct. And, you know, they, they will sell more treks in Italy because of it. Like, you can't argue with the marketing decision of picking up Nibali. And there's something to that. Because unless you win the tour, you know, like, you're probably not going to be selling. You're probably better off getting somebody that has more of a a status in the peloton same thing with contador right so like contador was a spanish cycling icon and they've got him on Trek for life most likely i mean that benefits their brand exponentially in the next mm-hmm. couple of years because he will still be in the center of the sport regardless of him making the salary of the world tour racer yeah so yeah i, I mean i think if they want to win races they probably need to start doing some more recruiting for younger talent um, but then again, I mean, Shield Bear just won paris Urbay at age 36. So, but it's also crazy because on or is the women's 37? 37? Thirty six, I 36, believe, thirty-six. Okay, uh, but it's also crazy
0: because on the women's side, they're killing it. Yolanda yeah, I mean, Neff, uh, Lizzie Denine, Emily, Emily Batty. Uh,
1: well, I mean, that's mixing mixing in mountain bike and road. Yeah, I guess so. I, but, but still on this well, on the same thing. It's like they have every they probably have four or five of the top ten most popular women. I mean, if we're talking about Road, I think they've had like they've definitely had a better season than the guys. I don't think they've had anything crazy. I think Ellen Van Dyke won oh, Ghent Weblegum maybe. I think she won I think she won Gent Weblegum. Um, which was a big win for them for sure. I'm pretty sure. I'd have to double check that. She definitely won one of the the larger classics, but you know, not Tour of Flanders and not Roubaix for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, in general, I agree. Their their women's team is definitely outperforming their men's team at this point of the season. We'll see. We'll see what happens when the um, you know the tour comes around. But I I personally don't have a lot of faith that Richie Port is going to do anything but crash out of the tour. Yeah, I don't either it's just it's been a rough like last five years for him ever since he left sky yeah his last couple years on sky it's been pretty rough for that guy so we'll, we'll see what happens but not holding my breath
0: uh the other disappointment for me was uh taylor finney oh yeah he not in his performance per se but he got a mechanical Right, and then his team car went straight past him
1: early in the race. Too.
0: Early in the race, so he had yeah. to drop out because of that.
1: That is a bummer. I know this was like this was probably the the race that had the most promise for Finney. He got eighth yeah. place in this race last year. This he, was
0: the race he was targeting. This was this
1: year. yeah. This was his his targeted race, and what a bummer to you know. It's one thing to crash out. It's one thing to me- mechanical out, but it's another thing for your team just to kind of like drop the ball. Yeah. Especially early in the race. And for those
0: who don't know, when that happens, they just get picked up by what's called a SAG vehicle. It's essentially like a yeah. big van that comes by and whenever there's they hit a rider they say, hey, you either, either kind of getting back on your own or you get in and you call it a day.
1: Right, right. Because if they get, once they get passed by the Sag wagon.
0: That's essentially that's the, the end, end of the, of the race. race. I mean,
1: they're they're on open traffic yeah. at that point. Which
0: actually in Perry Bay a lot of people will say no to the sag vehicle. Yeah, they want to finish the race. Because they it's want iconic. to finish the race. Right.
1: Yeah. And you're on Cobbles. like there's not many cars driving on those roads, so you're probably yeah. okay. Um well, so anything else on Peoria Bay Ryan? Any other uh, insights, thoughts? That's an exciting that's, race.
0: That's about it. Uh yeah. I, we should probably touch on Peter Skon. Yeah, uh, good yeah, race should, or the lack, just, the lack of Peter Sagan, I guess. I say
1: I think he did pretty well. Yeah, um,
0: he, I just think he. I don't think he had it in the last twenty kilometers.
1: He lost Daniel Oss. Yeah, uh, I think that
0: that was a big hit fo- to him.
1: Yeah, I think a little. Past he had a mechanical ha- or something. He actually had a crash. Daniel Oss had a crash, and I don't know if he pulled out of the race, but he definitely got dropped off of the lead group or the 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 main group. And, you know, Daniel Oss is definitely, I mean, we talked about it before, like, you just need some teamwork, and that's, like, Peter Sagan's right-hand man in the classics. So, you know, he was just isolated, right? And especially with having two quick-step riders attacking the, the main race-winning breakaway to get away with Gilbert and Niels Pollitt, I mean, everybody just looked at Peter Sagan to, to pull it together, and he, he ran out of gas. And, you know, he's, he's not had the best spring uh, with getting sick and not being in in his in his best form, uh, kind of a disappointing day for him.
0: But honestly, kudos for him because that was a
1: real ballsy move from like 65k out, something like that. Very similar to where he went last year and won the race. Yeah, and he actually so last year he had bridged to Stefan Dillier and it was a two man it was a two man break into the velodrome, um, but he wasn't he just didn't have the the muscle or the legs to drop his other breakaway companions and um he made it to the race winning move though i mean yeah you went and you're right he went pretty far out
0: so honestly kudos for him for that race winning move mm-hmm. but uh yeah he just didn't have it for the yeah. last 20k just a bummer yeah you could tell that he was pretty beat up by it i mean we kind of talked about it before he pretty much just let Seth van mark go because they went into the velodrome yeah. together Seth van mark kind of went up to do a sprint and Peter's gone. Pretty much just sat up, and it's just like, yeah, yeah it's like I have, don't it, care. have fourth place, right? Yep. I, I'm. He's essentially last place. It's yeah.
1: If you're not first, you're last. Yeah. Yeah. Second's tied for last. Second's tied for last. First loser.
0: All right. So, uh, the next, we wanted to talk about just kind of we're we're like halfway through the season. If you want to count like the, or if you want to kind of call it the classic season half of it, and then the Grand Tours half of it. Yeah. Yep. And we're just kind of going to recap how we think everyone's
1: doing. Yeah, How these sure. teams
0: are doing. We kind of touched on track. Yeah. But uh, team, team who else? Recap.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think if you want to pick somebody that won the spring, I don't think it would be uh, – I think it would be hard to argue against Dakunic Quick-Step. Winning two of the monuments this spring, um, with Milan-San Remo and Julia Philippe, and then of course uh, Gilbert winning Roubaix. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had a they had a, a pretty phenomenal spring, and then many other wins too. With with Stebar winning a race, and they also had, I think, the most number of winners on the team. Uh, Stebar, Youngles, Philippe, Gilbert. I'm probably even forgetting another racer too, but yeah, pretty phenomenal. Pretty phenomenal uh, spring for De- De quick stuff
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, team Sky has definitely been showing up to like the Tour races. They are pretty much exactly where they want to be to right. gear up for the Giro coming up in about a month, and then uh, the Tour.
1: Not a classics team. They Not had, a classics team. They, well, you know, they, they had Luke Rowe, and Luke Rowe actually was in a lot of really good moves and... He put himself he like you know, he did the best he could to put himself in a race winning position. Yeah, without and,
0: kind of the team team aspect. Yeah.
1: I think I think Luke Rowe is in pr- and they had O Owan Duel. Duel. Um, who's probably I think going to develop into like a decent classics rider eventually. Yeah. But uh you know, for now, uh yeah, I mean just not a classics team, but you know, Hey, they did about as well as anybody expected them to.
0: Yeah, um, one team that's kind of been surprising me is Lotto Sudal.
1: The Red Lotto.
0: Yeah, the Red Lotto team. Red Lotto. I think they've been, they've always been in the mix, more than I think they have been in the past.
1: Yeah, I I agree. You know, they have Tim Wellens and Tiege Benut. Tiege Benut was actually probably one of the the more favored riders, not not mm-hmm. a favorite, but like second tier favorite going into Roubaix, actually uh, hit the back of a team car. That's right. Or it might have been neutral service. It broke the window. Like, he smashed the back window. That's right, yeah. And he actually had to get carried off um, of the... I mean, he was super upset leaving Roubaix. And the worst part is he also is going to be out for Amstel Gold Race, which is probably uh, more of a a race that suits him, the Ardennes. He's more of a punchier rider, very very uh good with like those short accelerations and climbs yeah um i think yellow lotto had a really great spring with Wout van art yeah too. because of Wout van art lots of second places yeah. um you know like i think i think it's going to be with with van art i think he's a, a super strong rider they also had danny van poppel uh on that team too he's a great sprinter and a really a, a super strong rider but i think once once either lotto with Ben can get like a couple more strong riders for the classics. Mm-hmm. I think they'll be in a really good position to challenge a lot of those races. But I think Yellow Lotto is also another one of those teams that's kind of like uh, walking the line between grand tours and and classics because they have Primoz Roglic, Roglic, Primoz Roglic.
0: The the, Log- the ski jumper. Primoz Roglic.
1: Yeah. The Primoz yeah, the ski jumper. Yep. Um, but uh, they have him for for the Grand Tours this year, and I think they have Steve- who
0: did very well in um, the UAE. Tour. Yeah, the UAE tour. I think. He yeah, won it, he won. Right? I think uh, he took like three or four stages too.
1: And they have Steve- Stevie who um, who is a former almost Giro winner. He got very close in 2016, I think, to winning the Giro. Um, so yeah, they they have a lot of Grand Tour ambitions. So I, I think they. I think they would be better off, I think, actually focusing on the classics. So if they've got such yeah. riders like Van Art and Van Poppel and if they can just add a couple more big names, they probably would be able to contend with a team like Step.
0: Yeah, honestly, if they wanted to go in that direction and kind of once the contracts of some of their Grand Tour riders were up, mm-hmm. kind of switch that over... <clears throat> And then, I mean, that'd be a pretty crazy pickup, but like a Matthew Vanderpool,
1: yeah. him
0: and Wood Van Art working together.
1: Oof, I don't know if they could work together.
0: I don't know if they could work together. I think together, that's too much star
1: power, but I think they would, I think it would be a, a unique, that'd be pretty a, unique, a, a unique, uh, you know, left, right hook, right? You if know? they could
0: kind of work together, like how quick step works together. Yeah. I think that would be, they could both win a lot of races. They could both win a lot of races. Agreed.
1: Agreed um a couple teams that I thought were a little bit disappointing in the classic season would be uh Dimension Data I don't think they did anything all season I think Classics. all
0: of their entire season has been pretty
1: following wheels and yeah getting 16th place
0: especially with uh Mark Cavendish
1: yeah who Edval- has Edvald Bosenhagen yeah uh had a mechanical at uh the pointy end of Roubaix and was was not in the in the finishing group unfortunately um Uh, who else Uh, Bahrain Marita they had Mahorek who is a really strong rider Matej Mahorek who was off the front of a lot of races but I don't think they really had any results to write home about Um, that's
0: another team that kind of is probably more directed towards like the Grand Tours with Nibali
1: Dan Martin on that team as well yeah yep Uh, well Well, no no they have Kristoff sorry Sorry. no I'm thinking of uh, UAE now we can talk a oh, bit yeah, about. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. <clears throat> with the UAE doing surprisingly well this classic season, very well. with Christoph. winning gent and I think Kristoff uh, is at phenomenal form. And even even if gent Webblegum was their only win, I think they had Kristoff on the podium at almost every other classic. I mean, he was on the podium yeah. at that's uh, Tour a Flanders. dude.
0: That's a dude who's getting old, and out of nowhere, honestly, had great some kind of great comeback.
1: I think he just switched up this year and he trained a little bit different, probably because he wasn't going to be the main sprinter on the team. And I think that probably put him in a better position to be a good classics rider. You know, probably just work in some of that, like, like more sustainable power. Was yeah. Probably good for his classics season. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of other teams that we haven't talked about. Is there anybody else you wanted to touch on? Uh, why don't
0: we talk about, uh, real quick, about. Mark Cavendish and Marcel Kittle. Oh, yeah. Because they've been kind of in the news about having a bad season. Is Mark it? Cavendish kind of coming off of that illness, but still it's kind of getting farther and farther away from blaming it on the illness, uh, where he's just not been not been where he has in the past. Uh, Marcel Kittle, which just kind of seems like he's pre- like just given up on bike racing.
1: I know uh, Katusha has even come out, and they're no longer trying to kind of cover for the lack of performance they've blatantly said that they've had like an emergency meeting with kittle who is undoubtedly the highest paid rider on Mm Katusha, um sucking up most of their budget and even at shell depress which he's won i think five times um he was dropped and got 99th place finished behind the lead group and Shell Depress is a flat race. That is a race for the sprinters. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, he's getting dropped from these races where he should be, should not only be doing well, but should be winning. Like there's, I think there's a few riders that have that expectation, but Kittle definitely has that expectation. They
0: also mentioned about how, you know, even in their team meetings, he doesn't pay attention. He just acts like he doesn't care. hmm uh, I, th- I think he's kind of over bike racing, honestly. Well, I don't know if it's, I, it's about the team that he's on or maybe he's just burnt out. But
1: uh, I, I don't know if it's over bike racing. I think he's just got such a personality and such an ego. I, I mean, you know, like there's, there's two teams where the riders leave and they never can seem to do as well as they did on that prior team. And with the classics, well, with Grand Tours, that's Sky, right? Every rider that leaves Sky seems to do worse wherever else they go. And that was with uh, uh, Quickstep. Every rider that leaves Quick Step seems to do worse anywhere else they go. And Kittle was the the guy on Quickstep. I mean, mm-hmm. he nearly won the green jersey at the Tour if it hadn't been for uh, a crash and won the mountain stage. Just so that kind of took him out of contention. But, and he
0: also did really well when he was on Argo Shimano.
1: Yeah, yeah, he did really he well on Shimano year. as well. Um, I think he's had a lot of expectations at Katusha, but I think he has not had the same kind of like. Uh, sprinting lead out infrastructure like Dakunic is, is a sprint classics team I mean that's what they're there for they're not they're not doing a GC rider they're not there to win the Grand Tours whereas I think uh, I think Kittle needs a really good lead out to do well in these sprints and I don't think he gets it from kadusha
0: I agree that's all I got for <sighs> yeah, that's the a, recap.
1: We got we got a uh, yeah. I think I think we got to move on to something else, right? Yeah,
0: I'm sure we're missing some teams or some yeah. riders. Oh,
1: one team, uh, another one, Astana. Not super impressed with Astana. I just want to add that I think that I'm more. There's more teams that I'm not impressed with this season than I am impressed with.
0: Uh, real quick note: who I th- I'm actually very impressed with is Michelton Scotts Adam Yates.
1: Okay. He's yeah. been doing
0: not, phenomenal. So
1: not in the classics realm, but on the stage race yeah, side of things. I
0: think he he is my pick for the Giro this year. Well, He was sh- so close last year.
1: A- N- so Adam Yates is going to the tour. Oh. Sh- sh- Simon. Simon Yates. Simon Yates is going to be the uh, the Giro guy. The former winner of okay. the Vuelta. Simon Yates nearly won the Giro last year. Uh, and I think he's coming into the Giro as the odds-on favorite for sure. Who... I know Adam Yates has been doing very well recently. Right, Adam the Volta C- Catalunya. Yes, yeah, I think he won or won a stage or the um, stages.
0: I th- I believe he won the overall. I know he won like two or three stages, Mm-mm. and I know it was very close. I think it maybe it was Simon Yates then, who did he won a TT this year? Was
1: that Simon? I think that was Simon. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I th- and that was pretty much that was a big reason why he lost the Giro was because he then couldn't. He, I shouldn't say that's why he lost the Giro because he he lost it on the stage. What it was like seventeen it or like, something. It was like 18, I 18 think, 18, actually. From Chris Froome's eighty kilometer attack. Right,
1: but right. I um, think
0: uh, they're young guys and they're really only going upwards.
1: Yeah, I, they're exciting to watch too. Really good riders. Um, you know, let's talk about some other cycling news though, which is not really race related, but it's a race against the clock, as some may say. Which is the hour record? uh, Now, now held by a new rider.
0: Yep. Let me bring it up here. I have the
1: Victor Victor Campeniers. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Campeniers. Victor
0: Campeniers, Belgian rider. Belgian rider.
1: Former Belgian national TT champion, and he took it in.
0: Salientes, Mexico ah,
1: And Ryan, why would you do the hour record in Mexico if you're from Belgium?
0: That is because of the elevation okay. um, It's at a higher elevation And I believe they kind of choose that because it's at a certain elevation Where it doesn't affect your cardiovascular abilities enough To like make a, enough of a difference, I should say But the air pressure is very low
1: It's at the correct elevation. Yeah. The optimal elevation. The optimal
0: elevation to cut through the air. Interesting. To be as aerodynamic as possible.
1: And how fast did he go for an hour?
0: He did 55.089 kilometers.
1: Dang.
0: Which is only about two laps more than what Bradley Wiggins did.
1: When Bradley
0: Wiggins was at an unoptimal like elevation with unoptimal air quality
1: and i think what you touched on this earlier when we were talking wiggins did the hour record because he was on a season near his retirement very good form uh something that was pretty attainable for the former world olympic british etc time trial champion right so he could just kind of grab that hour record he did it in an open stadium with crowds and I mean he he definitely was going for it, right? But there's a lot of things where he might not have been as optimal as Campanyard's.
0: Yeah, you know, when Bradley Wiggins did it, the hour record was not like phenomenal. Yeah. I it was think, very it was very good. Yeah. But Bradley Wiggins went into it knowing that he could
1: take it. I think Jens Voigt was actually one of the one of the riders that kind of reignited the yes. the fire for uh, the hour record, and if if I'm not mistaken, I I want to say it was like it was like Jens Voigt, Alex Dowsett. Yeah, Jens Voigt
0: Tho- 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 only had it for I think one or three months. Yeah, it was a very that- short period of time. But he was the first one since the UCI changed the rules about the kind of bike you can use
1: and what kind of bikes can you use now as opposed to before? um i more, think more before time trial specific bikes, yes time
0: trial specific bikes before you had to use uh drop handlebars oh really yes okay. i believe so don't quote me on that but i'm pretty sure that's what it was and back when they the, where when the hour record was set they were still able to use like an optimal time trial bike
1: interesting would you ever try an hour record? Would you try to like... Heck no. Would you try to do the hour of power?
0: No, I wouldn't. It doesn't
1: sound very fun.
0: It does not sound fun. Type 2 fun. But you know it what? Does, I think, no, it's not
1: even type 2 fun. It's just not fun.
0: You know, I got to say with a record like this, I actually kind of want to... I think they should get rid of all uh, rules about the, the bike and the equipment that you use.
1: It should just be like... It should
0: be all about how far can a human go in one hour... Up but To they, the point of, like, having, like, a motor in your bike.
1: But that's, like, they – I mean, they wouldn't be doing that on the velodrome then. It would, it, that's, like, what you find at, like, the Salt Flats of Utah, right, where you've got somebody, like, that's building this giant spaceship-looking thing that happens to have, like, a crank and a gear in it, and you call it a bicycle. I'm okay with the guidelines to make sure – essentially what they're just trying to do is to make sure that um, – bicycle is being used in the process what's mostly a bicycle and not just this feat of engineering see i want to see
0: i'm I'm very interested to see what is like the limit because i feel like there is a certain point where it's just like can we make optimize this more than it already is like what is that point
1: Hmm. yeah it's interesting i i'd agree it'd be interesting to see like what the true like limit is in terms of how fast you can go.
0: And I think that's, I think that is something that might change in the future.
1: I think they'll continue to like, uh, you know, take away restrictions every, it seems like every couple years, decades, they kind of revisit the issue and say, Oh, you know, we'll get more interest in it. If we, if we let people do this or we let people do that because it opens the door for riders that might not be as strong to have a crack at the record I mean that you said it yourself that's kinda of what happened with the Void, right? Or or the re the reinvigoration of the hour record is now you, you let riders use a time trial bike and all of a sudden, you know, they want to give it a go.
0: Yeah, I mean when Jens Voigt did it there was like a twenty year gap. Yeah. Where it's like you, you are now competing against, you know, bike tech that was twenty years ago. Exactly. So it's like of course Jens was able to get it. You know, it's very hard for him but I mean, just with all the equipment alone gave him a massive edge. Absolutely. All right. I think uh, that's it. I think that's it. Let's see. Uh, Bradley Wiggins' old record was 54.526 kilometers. The new one is 55.089 kilometers. Bradley Wiggins set that record in 2015 in London. Uh, He did it in London because he wanted to be like a spectator thing. Mm -hmm. The, The velodrome was filled. It was broadcasted. Uh, Victor Campagnerts was broadcasted, but it was a very – Closed It, it was velodrome. a closed velodrome, and there were only specific people there. I'm sure like friends and family were there because there, there were a few people in the crowd. Mm-hmm. But besides that, it was just coaches and trainers.
1: Yeah. Yep. All uh, right, Ryan. Well, is that it for this time? Are we going to wrap it up?
0: Yeah, that's, that's about it. All right, uh He's cool. 27 years old if you care about that.
1: 27 is pretty young. Yeah. That's, time to keep pushing his record. Yeah, right? it's pretty good. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, uh, that's it for this week, everybody. Thanks for listening along with us. Uh, you know, head over to iTunes uh, or Stitcher. You know, you can find us on your favorite podcast apps. Uh, give us a like. Give us a subscribe. We'd love to hear your your thoughts on the podcast. You know, leave us a comment. Uh, you know, we're always always interested in hearing what people want us to talk about or what they what they don't want us to talk about. And you can, uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, uh, Bike Racing Weekly, Bike Race Weekly.
0: It's one of the two, Bike Race Weekly or yeah, Bike Racing too. Weekly.
1: Yeah. And then on Instagram, uh, Bike Racing Weekly, we'll post some stuff about our new episodes. And, you know, as, as our bike season starts, probably post some stuff going on in Wisconsin and all those uh, cool local scenes around us. Yep. So, yeah.
0: Facebook's definitely the best way to find out when we release new stuff.
1: Uh, so go follow us there. We appreciate it. Till next time, thanks for listening.